Hello and welcome to this unprecedented episode at the Indie Football Podcast where we have got Jack Talbo with us, Chief Football Correspondent for Transfer.com and he has also served as a journalist for Time Sports, Guardian Sports and Mirror Sports of course. Uh, thank you Jack for taking out time and being there with us today. How are you feeling today? I'm good. Thank you very much for the invite. Um, I know it's been a long time coming because we've been uh, discussing it for a while but we've had a Cancellation my end, cancellation your end. So, uh, yeah, it's good to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Nukar, sir, Priyul, I, I know for a fact that you were particularly enthusiastic to have Jack with us on board, especially during the transfer window or the last couple of months where we had so much to speak for different teams across the globe. Uh, so, it's definitely a special episode for us and we're just getting started. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, uh, at the start, I remember Jack was mainly giving out a lot of news regarding Newcastle. I think it's his favorite club, if I'm not wrong. Uh, but with time, what I have like, kind of seen is that uh, with Liverpool news also, he has been very reliable. And uh, I, for myself, uh, look forward to news from uh, like you know whatever transfer saga is going on and throwing in some of the exclusives like. Uh, Recently, Jack told us about the Dewsbury Hall, that there was a thing going on and all. And uh, I mean, he's doing a brilliant job here, so it's great for us to have him on the podcast. We have had some really good guests, but I think uh, Jack definitely, uh, you know, just is for me in the list of the most eminent guests that we have had. And thank you so much, man, for taking out the time. It's a pleasure having you here. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you so much. Definitely, because uh, we feel that, you know, uh, let's start from the beginning, uh, having a journalism degree myself. Jack, please uh, help us go through your career as a sports journalist. How did it start and where did the thought come from? And of course, you are doing pretty well for yourself currently. But tell us a bit more about the genesis of this career option. Um, I was at university and I wanted to become a film writer and... I realized that it was probably a bit too hard to break into film. Um, and so I knew I liked writing and I knew I liked football. And I think it was April 2015. I remember sitting there and just thought I should put them together and just become a football writer. And so I went to games in Manchester, uh, non-league games, uh, like, you know, 500 fans, that kind of thing. And I worked for free for about two years. Um, then I got some work experience at national papers, uh, like uh, the Telegraph, the Times. Um, and then I went into actual news and I lived in Spain for a little bit um, near Marbella. Um, but then I, I kind of got drawn back to sport again. And then I landed a job at the, the Mirror and I worked at the Mirror a bit. And then the Daily Star. Um, I've had there's loads in between that, to be honest, as well. Um, but it probably wasn't until not last January, but the January before that, that I started to sort of message football agents um, on Twitter. And I didn't really know what I was doing, but I, I just found out bits of information, and then I then I just um, I tweeted it. Um, and then I think after a couple of months of that, I thought. Or maybe I should monetize this. You know, I'm just sort of throwing stuff out there for no reason. Maybe maybe a site would be interested. And it just so happens that Football Transfers was only a year old. And I knew the editors from, they're both, all of them quite prominent editors. And I started doing bits from them. 
And it's just kind of grown from there, really. And I got offered a full-time job in January of this year. So I've only been doing this, you know, sort of, you know, the transfer stuff in a full-time capacity for uh, eight months. Not a long time at all. So I'm still learning. Um, But unfortunately, in this industry, when you make a mistake, it's not really your bosses who tell you off. It's the general public. If you make a mistake, you know, especially online on Twitter, they'll let you know about that and they won't forget it. So you kind of... When you first start, I think there's a, a healthy degree of cynicism about um, how reliable you are, and it's about proving that. And I have had editors, I'm sorry, agents and other sort of sources and stuff who ignored me this time last year, but because of my accounts grown in size, um, they're willing to talk now. And that's why, you know, Romano's got 18 million followers now, so every every source wants to talk to him. So it's a really long way to go about it, but... Um, yeah, it was in essence just sort of putting. I like football, I like writing, and I sort of put them together really, and it sort of come to this. Understandable. That's that's I think a really inspiration for us for us a lot also because how you you told about the part where you have worked for three also for a couple of years. It goes to show the progress that you have made. Uh, uh, also, going in, uh, so I've come to this part, Jack. Uh, see, I have talked to you first as a Liverpool fan. Usually, we keep the uh, this podcast very neutral when it comes to fans. We try to include fans of all uh, clubs. But the thing is, see, as a Liverpool fan, I'm happy with the signing of Bataru Endo. But, of course, like, uh, the links from Kefran Thuram came out. And, uh, of course, I uh, did uh, resonate with their thoughts when uh, I remember some of the Liverpool journalists came out uh, in ambiguous terms to counter when you had uh, said that we had agreed uh, personal terms because you had also mentioned that it wasn't that it was done something on paper or anything, right? And I agreed that you know that there was a need for them to kind of take that out. So today they put out this post about Liverpool uh, that they might not put out a uh, that they might not sign a number six. Do you think it's a transfer gimmick, or do you think that someone like Dufoure could come in the club uh, by the end of the winter? Oh, um, it, yeah, I, I know what you mean um, clubs can do that. Um, clubs can be deceptive, and they can. I mean, I'm a Newcastle fan and the, our club always tells lies to the media about we've got no money, we're so poor, we, uh, we're not going to sign another player and then we go and spend 50 million on another player and 30 million here. And, and so it's hard to say. Sometimes it is genuine. Um, maybe Klopp does have his man in Enzo. Um, although if that was the case, then I suspect they can't finish the window like that. Um Maybe it'd be more of a, you know, a, more of an advanced midfielder they get. Uh, I did a story the other week about uh, possibly new, uh, Nuben, uh, Neves, um, sorry, Matthias Nunes, I always get them too mixed up, um, being one. So I'm not sure um, with, with that. I mean, if Klopp really likes him and he thinks he, he fits in, you've got three midfielders in, two have gone. Um, so who knows? But yeah, I mean, it's possible that club are saying that to sort of be deceptive, although... I suppose looking into that, um, there'd be no reason to um, with the... Although saying that they were quite deceptive about Caicedo, weren't they? Because that came out of nowhere. And they were quite deceptive about Gapco, if you remember, because that came out of nowhere. So Liverpool are capable of doing something extraordinary like that. Um, but in terms of insight and into that, I, I don't know. You know, that, that could be absolutely genuine. It could just be Enzo as the defensive midfielder. Fair enough. Uh, so... Uh, like uh, talking about the Kaiseido deal, it's a very interesting case because uh, I also remember I was very upset as a Liverpool fan. Yeah. But <laughs> to be very honest about it, uh, 
like what do you think made kaisedo choose chelsea at the end because like uh, there were reports in the media that personal terms were not that much of a problem or david onstein had also reported it so what do you think made him change his mind at the last moment was it the agent piece or was it uh, something else was it the money or was it uh, was it for footballing reasons what do you um why did the story um I think it was in June, and I think he said. Now I, I was speaking to his agent, and what he said was that Casado was open to all offers away from Brighton, and he'd be happy, you know, just with any sort of prestigious club, um, you know, top six club, traditional Chelsea, Liverpool, that kind of thing was what I got. Uh, Liverpool wouldn't have made that bid, I don't think, if they didn't have any encouragement from his camp to make that bid. In terms of. Um, whether the player was deceiving Liverpool, it's very possible. It's very possible that that may have been the case. I, uh, you know, I think in terms of football agents, um, you know, there's there's agents I've I've spoken to quite regularly for like two years, and they're sort of, they are friends, and I, I think that football agents have a bit of a bad rap with things. I think they get a bit uh, a bit of stick, and I saw some of the stuff about Liverpool. Reporters were saying, oh, the agent pulled, pulled the wall over his eyes and the agent did that. And I feel that probably Casilla just made his own mind up and uh, maybe he was just maximising, you know, how much money he would get. Um, he has no affiliation to Chelsea or Liverpool. He's from Ecuador. And I think that uh, he just, you know, got whatever was best. And maybe he preferred to live in London. That, that's always the case sometimes. Um but I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, what the agent tells you, what the club tells you is sometimes it has an agenda to it. So it's quite hard to find the truth. I, what I always try and say is, you know, weigh everything up. Don't just listen to me or even Romagna, you know, just, just weigh things up. But um, as it is, Chelsea spent £115 million on a player who's probably worth about half of that, I'd say. So it's not bad going. And I think the bids, if anything, that you made does show that you do have money there. And it's kind of revealed Liverpool's hands a little bit. So there's no excuses now not to spend that much in the market because I think that will be quite disastrous. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I feel when when you, all of us, you know, anyone in the football world currently speaks about uh, huge amounts of money being spent for a particular transfer. And then somewhere down the conversation, people also probably bring up the Real Madrid and Mbappe conversation. You know, what do you, and since you are particularly in the game, what do you know from the sources and how do you look at the entire uh, Kylian Mbappe, Real Madrid uh, situation, which has, in my opinion, already etched itself for posterity because everyone keeps talking about it and and yet it does not seem to even happen any anytime soon. My, my understanding of Mbappe has come from because I, I don't I don't do stories Real Madrid really like it's just come from when I have, I have a friend who's a a journalist who covers um who covers Spain um and so yeah he you know he mentioned to me about personal terms sort of being done and in place um and that he wants to go there um but it, it's hard to navigate with Mbappe because he's so large that it's almost you know it's even tenfold um, trying to find the, the truth in that. Um, I'm not sure what the situation is now. I, I haven't, I mean, it, it was that he was going to, he's going to stay for another year and then there's been some sort of compromise with PSG where 
he will let go of some of the uh, loyalty bonus, I think. Then he'll get a move. I cannot see him staying around PSG. Uh, he won't be there in two years. And I think it's sort of, he's sort of destined for Real Madrid, really. Um, but that, that again, that that's there's no insight. That's just sort of what I've read, basically, really. Um, but I think it, it is symbolic of where football's at. You know, these types of stories of players being bigger than the club and loyalty bonuses of sixty million pounds is unthinkable. I think 10, 20, you know, 20 years ago, you know, a transfer story was quite um well a club likes a player and a deal would get done. Whereas now there's so many different facets to it and it's always vastly complicated. And I think we've seen it with this window, Kaisadi you mentioned earlier. Um but have every story is just so multi layered and stuff. It's it's much crazier than it was. I think that's because of the money that's at stake now. Yeah. Yeah, interesting because at one point, you know, when when people do continuously talk about this conversation in some angle or the other, but for you to give us such a holistic approach or view in it does help and does clear many of the apprehensions that many people have around it. Uh, of course, uh, we will continue speaking on many transfer windows uh, discussions and all. One thing that I was curious to know more about is the sports people think tank site. You know, you just mentioned I was going through your social media and that was one of the things mentioned in your uh, handle, which I felt is different from a bit different from everything else that you are doing. Can you tell us more about that? What's that? Sorry, my, the, the site I, I work for. Yeah, the sports people think tank site that you've got. Oh, sorry. Oh, yes. Um, that was uh, that was a long time ago. Um, I worked. I did a work experience for um, a former sport, a BBC Sport um, chap called yeah. Leon Man, and it was um, about diversity in 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 football. Like in England, for instance, there's no there's. Well, at the time, there was just, I think it was just Chris Hewton, who was um, the only black manager in the championship. And when you yeah. sort of compare that to the amount of players who are black or, or Asian, et cetera, then it doesn't really weigh up. So it was sort of challenging that, really. But to be honest, yeah, isn't it? I haven't um, done anything like that for about half a decade. But yeah, fair enough. You picked up <laughs> on it. Um, but no, yeah, I just did it a little bit for him and I, and I learned about it and the implementation of the Rooney rule and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's a very long time ago. I forgot. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah. Of course, yeah, all of sorry. all of us have got things that we started a long while ago, and 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 we just struggle to you know continue doing it now that we have got so many other things going on. But uh, one interesting thing that you also mentioned earlier is uh, you know Newcastle having to do their work in a way that they keep telling people different things, the media different things, and probably uh, we also wanted to know your thoughts on the business that Newcastle do, and do you think there will be more incomings regarding the Newcastle team? No, I, I don't think there'll be any more unless um, Jamal Lascelles goes. And we've got a lot of players and a lot of high wages. Uh, so they're contracted, obviously, until 2026, 20, yeah. say. And so no club wants to match that. And obviously, if you're on 50 grand a week and the club offers you 20, you're just not going to say no, right? So um, <laughs> I think that's it. But in terms of our window, yeah, we've got uh, Tonini. Uh, Sandro uh, Tonali, sorry, and he's sort of been our marquee signing, came out of nowhere. Lewis Hall, Pimento. Yeah. I think the trouble Newcastle had, it's a, it's a good issue to have, but they didn't plan to get them to the Champions League. This was something that was supposed to happen in 2005, 2004, maybe even further than that. 
but because they've entered the Champions League, there's an expectancy now to sort of bring in the best players and that. But I think they've done well. We've signed Livermento um, of at Southampton and Lewis Hall of Chelsea, purported to be two of the best English fullbacks probably in sort of three years. That's that's right. the, the trajectory at the moment. So we're not buying, you know, for the immediate, I don't think. There's been a couple of players like that. It's been great business. And I think a lot of Newcastle fans are quite patient because of just how before the takeover, it wasn't very pleasant. Mike Ashley is... Well, precisely, Mike Ashley was just chaos. And, uh, it, you know, all we hoped for every season was to stay up. We, you know, that was... That was the pinnacle of excitement. Is hopefully, hopefully we wouldn't get relegated. Of course, we did twice, um, but we always came back up. So it's much better, and I think our recruitment is. Uh, maybe it's a bit biased. I don't know, but you know, I think Brighton are probably the best in the league. And then after that, taking the last sort of year or so, I'd say Newcastle are the second best. Um, possibly, I think Liverpool were amazing a few years ago, but that they've obviously dropped off. I think Jesus. a little bit. ियम So, what do you realistically see Liverpool doing in the last ten days of the transfer window? So, was that last bit? I am asking that. Uh, what do you realistically see Liverpool uh, doing in the last ten days of the transfer window? Because, of course, a lot of clubs uh, wouldn't want to sell at this point of time. So, what do you think they are going to do? Like, uh, what are your predictions with it? considering how they have been in the market in terms of their transfer business what, yeah, what I think they do yes cool so um obviously they've got Enzo in um I think it's quite obvious they've got a fair bit of money um after the the big bid on Caicedo um they won a, a left I think they're after Levi Colwell but that they obviously signed a fresh deal and they tried Caicedo um I think what Liverpool are going to do now uh, is be a bit more of a guessing game because they're going to keep their cards really close to their chest you mentioned Kepa and Ram um, that's someone they agreed personal terms with verbally, uh, and then they moved away from him and got Dominic Savozlai. And um, but there's been murmurs that they're going to go back in for him. And he's always expected to leave Nice this window, um, and but it just hasn't happened. Tobido as well. So you know he could be snatched up for 35 million. Um, Jewsbury Hall is another name I had. So I didn't really want to put it out, but it's just a name I heard that I could go for. But maybe the <laughs> Liverpool fans were not at all happy when that thing came out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, like, I, I think you know Andre is another one, um, but there's been issues around that and the fact that his current club don't want to sell until the uh, Brazilian Seriazo over with. Um, I, I I don't know. Um, to be honest, I suspect that you will spend. I think it would just be at you know, it'd be suicide if you didn't. Um, you'd have to, I think you need to get another centre-back in. Um, Charam, I say, could be one. Um, yeah. but, you know, Tushimeni's always been liked. And I think if they had a bit of encouragement from him, if Mbappe went to Real Madrid this window, then Real Madrid may look to sell. That would be quite interesting. But I think he wants to remain at Real, um, Real Madrid. So, and again, Amrabat. But, you know, Amrabat looks to be heading to Atletico Madrid. 
So, um, and then there's Gravenberch as well. But again, Gravenberch, I think he'd rather go to Man United because of the relationship he has with Ten Hag. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean... Um, Lots of no, possibilities. Yeah, I suppose so. I think, I say, you know, Liverpool quite open before and now it's sort of been closed up as a result of, you know, the, the, the Romeo uh, Lavia stuff and Casado. It just hasn't worked out for them. And I don't think they're going to be, you know, briefing like the, their major targets again. I think they're just going to need to get it done without talking to the media about it. So, um, but I, I suspect they will get something. I think they will spend money. I think they've got uh, one or two aces up their sleeve that they'll deliver. But in terms of names, other than sort of Turan that I've mentioned, Kone, you know, possibly from um, Gladbach could be one. But um, nothing substantial I've got on that front at the moment anyway. Yeah, uh, before we take yeah. up the conversation yeah, sure. to... Yeah, Anugas, yeah, continue, continue, continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just wanted to ask that uh, Chelsea uh, was like they have spent a lot of money, a bizarre amount of money, this transfer window. But there are talks of you know them going on for another uh, center, another forward since Nkunku has had that injury. What are your thoughts on? You on, um, on Chelsea, on Chelsea's business, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they would go for another forward? Before the end of it, oh, I mean, I think Chelsea, you know, if you look at the numbers, and they, I'm not saying they haven't spent obscene amounts, unprecedented amounts, um, but they've sold a lot. Uh, May night this window have sold 38 million euros worth of talent. By comparison, Chelsea have sold 260 million. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They've only spent a net of around 80 million pounds, despite. The, the amount of names they've brought in and the amortization they, they've done with it. Yeah, I think they tried to get uh, Elise, um, who obviously just remains with Crystal Palace. Uh, Doku is going to Man City, it seems. Um, Brennan Johnson's one that apparently they're looking at. So, yeah, I think they're going to get another attacker in and maybe even a, a number nine as well because, you know, they've still got Lukaku on their books and stuff. So, if they can ship him off, they might have to bring in. Valovic or something like that. But yeah, I know on the face of it, Chelsea's spending has been ludicrous and uh, directionless, I think, and very um, machine machine gun-like. Um, but they have moved on a lot of, you know, that's a lot of money to sell on. And, you know, Mason Mount, £60 million pounds for one. Um, obviously, we Jay got... Roberts. Yeah, exactly. Jay. So um, it's just their approach. I don't think, I don't know how long it'll work for, but um, it's not as... Bad as people say it is, I don't think. I think, you know, because they've had to do an overhaul, basically. And they've recruited a fair bit of money. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, one of the teams that you mentioned was Manchester City. And we were wondering if, you know, I I personally felt after winning the treble last season, they have let gun of certain big players for themselves, you know. Gunduan has gone to Barcelona and, and many other stalwarts who have helped them win those three competitions now for last season. So, what do you think of Manchester City before uh, we ask you more about the Saudi Pro League? Uh, what do you think of Man City? Um, I think, you know, again, it's sort of um, their reputation of being big spenders and they absolutely are. They've spent um, level uh, with Man United over the past 10, 10 seasons, I think. This season so far, they've spent a net of about 30 million euros. Last season, they made a profit of 50 million euros. 
I think they're really, really good at what they do. Um, and I know Gundogan's left to Barcelona and stuff like that, but they'll replace him. The pool's too big. Um, Calvin Phillips, I don't know if he'll go on loan. They have been a bit slow moving in this window, but they, you know, they don't, re- they rarely get things wrong. Um, and so, yeah, I know Doku looks like he'll be coming in. I thought they might have gone for Caicedo, but it didn't happen. They went for Rice, but um, yeah, another one where you know they don't. They seems like they spend lows, and they have done, but now they're self-sustaining and stuff. So, um, but in terms of who they'd bring in, I don't know. I'm not. I don't get much on City really. I've had a couple of stories more about their academy uh, than anything like that. But um, Fabrizio is probably Romano is probably the most reliable for Man City because I think he talks to City Group and stuff, so he gets the information. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, now I'm gonna take up the part where uh, to the tournament where Henderson left and then Anukarsa prob- probably started loving Saudi Pro League a bit lesser because it it yeah. took one of their prime players. But uh, Jack, I feel uh, what Saudi Pro League is doing not only for Asian tournaments but also for global football is a big shift because we have seen Ronaldo speak about how last season it was him who had opened the floodgates or so to say for Saudi Pro League and now uh, this season at the beginning of this season throughout the transfer window the overall perception of Saudi Pro League being a place where people shifting towards the end of their careers has slightly changed because people Mm -hmm. I mean someone from uh, your uh, someone from your favorite team, Newcastle, decided to not play the Champions League and come over and play to you know have an experience of the Saudi Pro League. So, overall, how do you perceive the Saudi Pro League and how do you see it changing the football landscape in the next five to ten years? Um, it's a big question. Um, as someone who was raised in England and obviously you know what Englanders are like, like the status quo. We like our European top five leagues and stuff. I don't like it as a fan because I want to, I have sentimentality around how I see football, but England does not have the monopoly on football. It's for everyone. It's worldly. And so, you know, if they're able to do it, then why not? Um, I think our perception in the English media of the Saudi pro league has been um, disingenuous at times, you know, I, I'm sort of open to it. Like, why not? Um, I don't actually think it's as harrowing as people suggest it is. And, you know, for instance, the Premier League is dominant by an incredible amount against the Bundesliga. League and Serie A is dying because of, you know, the, either how bad they are or how good the Premier League is. But the equilibrium is pretty, you know, and I don't like that. I like to see um, all the European countries sort of doing quite well, say, in the Champions League and stuff. But in essence, I think the Saudi Pro League has offered a lot of these clubs a bit of a way out when they've got players on big wages and stuff. Um, And I'm hoping that it is able, you know, for clubs in the Serie A and stuff, they're able to, like, generate money in which they can compete against the uh, Premier League via the the Pro League. Um, you know, in a couple of years, three years' time, it's very... Pop- I mean, I, I might tune into the Saudi Pro League and stuff. You know, why not? Um, I just... I, I don't know much about it other than the transfer side of things. I, it's not the MLS. It's not, you know, people are going... You mentioned some Maximan going there in the sort of prime of his career and stuff. It could shape it up into something quite nice. Um, 
But yeah, I think um, the English perception of it is negative, I'd say, for the most part. But I don't necessarily share that. Um, It's football, you know. Um, But I think it's... Let's see what happens. It's made for an interesting window, if anything, though. Yeah, absolutely. Anukar, sir, this is your chance uh, to ask. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) Yeah, uh, so uh, we have... uh, after the loss against Tottenham, we have seen quite of quite a lot of criticism of how United have conducted business. A lot of people have pointed out that maybe people like Mason Mount, do I personally feel it's very early to judge, uh, were not uh, you know worth the money in this transfer window and how the club were going. The Glazers have been reluctant so far to do uh, business in terms of setting the club in terms of concrete talks. So. Uh, what is your opinion on uh, how the Glazers have operated? And uh, do you see United making an addition before the transfer window ends? Yeah, um, just uh, the Glazers, um, I don't think people realise, because I think people will see my United and they just see, you know, you spent big money on the transfers and stuff. But a lot of that's for sponsorship reasons. like, um, And they don't really see, like now is the biggest example, because... When the takeover was supposed to happen and we thought it would be, well, we heard it would sort of be, you know, the summer at the very latest. Obviously, that they're, they're stretching it out. They've impeded on the window. Um, you could spend another 50, 60, well, May I could spend another 50, 60 million pound more and still be um, under FFP. They wouldn't be breaching that. But the Glazers don't invest anything. They've put in shares into the club in 2003. And, you know, they've basically just taken out of it. Um, they, you know, there's no infrastructure or care to the club, really. The decisions and decision-making have been, you know, all about enterprise rather than the football itself. It's always about commercialization um, rather than, you know, what's that, you know, winning trophies and stuff like that. So there are definitely worse owners than the Glazers. And you can look to like, well, my cashier, I'd argue, is worse. But, you know, I'd say more like, you know, the owners at Berry, the owner um, in um, uh, Macclesfield, the previous Macclesfield owner, who uh, Blackburn had, I think it was the Venkies, and they run that club mm-hmm. into the ground. They're always worse owners. But the Glazers are not, you know, they don't care um, about Man United and how they do, really. They, they care about revenue. Um, and, you know, in terms of transfers, no, they have no money. Um they had uh, 150 million, which they've spent on three players. Um, they overspent for Hoyland. Um, they hoped to, they decided not to get rid of Scott McTominay, rejected the bid from uh, West Ham for him. Um, Maguire, they haven't been able to get rid of. Um, Danny, uh, Donny van der Beek is somehow still there. Um, so they have no money, and that's why they can't buy Amrabat because they can't afford 30 million quid uh, to get him. And so that's why they're trying to get Graven back on loan. So, yeah, they, if, if they sell uh, Van der Beek and, and say Martial goes to the Pro League, that's going to open up a lot. But they'd have to sell players before they bring any in. So it would just be a question if, if a player does go, you know, then they'd have money. But at the moment, they can only, only do a loan, um, is my understanding anyway. Yeah, I mean, one last thing that we are going to ask you, and I know uh, we won't keep you for long, you have been generous with your time with us, <laughs> is that uh, now we have spoken in detail about different transfer 
uh, different trans teams transfer situations what makes sense for them what probably is something that they would do and it would be useful for the teams but now as we look at uh, jack talbo as the person and uh, and if he has got something to share with anyone who wants to become the next jack talbo because oh, over here both of us you know we are trying to uh, do get something done in the sports industry and i know it's a lot of it is similar even though we are from different countries we are united by our passion and love for football so what are certain things would you that you would like to tell a 15 year old who wants to do something similar to what you have done throughout your life uh i'll try not to be as generic as possible um in in football industry it's important to find a niche my niche i decided i needed to find a niche um a couple of years ago and i wanted to be a bundesliga expert um analyzing stats i wanted to be into mm. stats and but this the transfer stuff this sort of happens um but so sometimes it can just fall in your lap the most important thing is in this industry as well is because you will you will eventually make it in this industry but you just can't can't give in that sounds i know that sounds a bit um airy fairy but i mean there was remember 2001 i i had free freelance positions and i actually for varying reasons got let go of all free within a two week window and i remember being like i'm not doing this stuff anymore but for whatever reason as I've continued to do it and after it's been 8 years of doing it I finally got to a position where I really enjoy my job and I'm very fortunate and grateful to have got here um but I wouldn't have dreamed of being where I am now even like 3 years ago so you've got to find your niche um and just all the failures and stuff you embrace failure I think that's quite cliche but you know you're going to get knocked back so many times and feel like oh what can i do and you're going to feel hopeless but if you just keep in there constantly things evolve uh, and things change and and opportunities do open up um and then you get to a position where you want to be and enjoying football and going to games or whatever you want to do so um do it for yourself as well um you know i think it's important to not just do it for money but you know you got to have a passion for it as well and um don't be scared to put stuff out there because you know what online's like people will love to criticize you um but just don't let don't take twitter seriously or, or anything like that. it's not real life um and yeah i i mean i i think i chose to do this because i thought i didn't want to work in the sense that i and, I, and it's true i don't really work now because i enjoy it so much i don't really wake up like oh i have to go in for my my job i just wake up and i kind of like have a bit of fun and i go back sometimes it's stressful so Yeah, it's a bit of a blabbering speech, but that that in that in essence is is that just sort of hang in there um even if it takes up to 10 years and sometimes it can um but if you just make the right decisions over and over again eventually something clicks I suppose. Yeah, Anukar sir, I think that's a beautiful way to summarize the episode and we are going to remember what Jack just said. Absolutely man, I mean honestly uh, see like of us we uh, as it is supposed to be really view jack in the highest of esteem esteem and uh, honestly like, he has done justice to what we think about him thank you jack again once again for taking out the time the words you have spoken the transfer news it has been a pleasure like for a for a very for a rising uh, football podcast in india a country which is uh, which has just come into the top 100 
when it comes to indian football me and doi pan like we have a team also for the people we are really trying to do something about football in india and it's people like you it's like the things you do for, like your kindness is something which we will always remember because this is what we want to do with our podcast we want to make it super big and it's all about kinetic football like i loved your view about the saudi pro league because football is for everyone and mm-hmm. I think uh, you are you with uh, your words have just you know kind of epitomized it. So thank you so much for coming to the yeah. football podcast. It has been a pleasure. Thank you very much for the hospitality and the kind words. I really, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Till then, till the next week when we have another inspiring story or uh, you know someone who breaks down the transfer windows just like Jack has done for us. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Do follow us on our social media platforms: Twitter, Instagram. uh linkedin as well and yes we will uh we are looking forward to seeing all of you soon good night take care thank you, thank you.